the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But as we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Let us then confess our sins to God, our Father. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unbelieving. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done, by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your presence and eternal punishments. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and meet us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your holy name. Amen. Almighty God in his mercy has given his only Son to die for you, and for his sake forgives you all of your sins. As a called and ordained servant of the word, I therefore forgive you all of your sin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Save 
comfort and defend us, gracious Lord. in us your gifts of faith, hope, and love, that we may receive the forgiveness that you have promised and love which you have commanded. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Old Testament reading appointed for this, the the third Sunday after Pentecost is from the book of 2 Samuel, the 11th and the 12th chapters. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and he said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, 
But the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to this rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. reading from the second and third chapters of St. Paul's letter to the churches of Galatia. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, and yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide in all things written in the book of the law and do them. 
Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Together now we join in singing the hymn of preparation for the gospel reading as recorded for you in your bulletin in your service folder. When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed five hundred denarii, the other fifty. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? 
Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. And then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, We confess together our Christian faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of the light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text from the Holy Gospel, these words, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and so he went into the Pharisee's house, and he took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him and his, at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. How fitting and how coincidental, I'm sure, that only days after the primary elections, which put so many women of California in the front and center of the political scene, that a woman of Israel a couple thousand years ago should be put front and center in our text for today. Now there is, of course, a significant difference between the women that I first referred to being put on the political scene and the women of Israel of 2,000 years ago, a significant difference because the women of California who won last Tuesday's primaries are seeking very reputable offices of governor and senator and congressional representative, honorable positions to be sure. There was hardly anything honorable at all about being thought of as a woman of the city in Israel 2,000 years ago. It was a title given to women publicly known by their sinful indiscretions. And that's putting it rather mildly. Indeed, the only parallel to be drawn here between the women of last Tuesday's primary elections and the woman of our text for today is that they all had some degree of courage to be where we find them today. For the woman of our text, known as the woman of the city, to intrude upon the revered and the respected religious leader of the day to intrude upon the house of a Pharisee took a great deal of courage. And I suppose it might even be said that there is required of women today who would enter upon the political scene at least a small amount of courage too for a a Whitman or a Fioroni or a Boxer or Pelosi to open their lives to the scrutiny of the political world undoubtedly requires an amount of courage as well. Neither, of course, compared to the courage required of women in Iraq or women in Afghanistan who dare to hold up that now familiar dyed finger, a symbol of their ability to vote and their courage indeed which does vote in a public election, reminds me of a story on gender roles in Kabul, Afghanistan that Barbara Walters on ABC's 2020 did several years before the current Afghan war. She noted that women customarily would walk five paces or so behind their husbands. And recently returning from Kabul, she observed that women still walk behind their husbands. In fact, from Miss Walters' vantage point, despite the setbacks, in recent years of the Taliban, she was surprised to find that the women there in Afghanistan, even today it seems, walk further behind their husbands than before. And so she approached one of the Afghani women and she asked, 
Why do you now seem happy with an old custom of walking behind your husbands, an old custom that you once tried so desperately to change? And the woman looked Miss Walter straight in the eyes, and without any hesitation, she said, Landmines. <laughs> Landmines. Behind every man, there's a smart woman. So it said. Of course, it would be a, a grave mistake to think that Jesus endorsed in any way the maltreatment of women. He most certainly did not, whether it was his mother Mary, Mary and Martha, the sisters of his good friend Lazarus, the Samaritan woman at the well, the hemorrhaging woman who had been for 12 years and more so maltreated by physicians, the widow with her might in the temple, the widow of Nain, whose son was resurrected by Jesus from the dead, as you heard about last Sunday, or the incident of the woman in our text for today, and there are other incidents as well. You can be sure as you look at all of these cases in the New Testament that the perfect son of both God and Adam treated all of these women with whom he came into contact with great compassion and consistently reaffirmed the human dignity of each as the daughters of Eve. Indeed, look at the last verses of the Gospel reading for today, the first verses of the 8th chapter of St. Luke, where it says, Soon afterward he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, note these words, and also some women. And then St. Luke goes on to identify these women one by one, name by name, concluding by saying of them all, they were serving the twelve. Diakoneo in the Greek, suggesting a very important word because it's a word from which the word deaconess comes. We have deaconesses in our churches. Women that are trained to assist the pastor, to help the pastor in serving others. In this case, though, it comes from and is used in the text to indicate that these women were actually serving the twelve and serving the Lord Jesus himself using provisions which they had from the hard work that they would put in and doing it as the tense in the Greek indicates for a long period of time. Faithful, hard-working patronesses. Faithful, hard-working deaconesses of the Lord and the twelve apostles. Was the unnamed woman of the city that was here at the house of Simon the one who was forgiven and then later changed, was she indeed one who was mentioned at the end of today's gospel? Might it have been that the woman at Jesus' feet was Mary Magdalene? Many think so. Others say she's not identified, so you can't say that with any certainty. We don't know. Obviously, the woman's name is of no consequence, or the Holy Spirit would have caused that name there to be recorded the name of the woman at Jesus' feet. But it's of no consequence who she was, but that she was a woman who was indeed a sinner. That's the significance. What's significant about the scene as we have it before us in our text is what happens at the scene in the Pharisee's house as that scene unfolds because it's so rich in what it says about each of the two main characters that are there, the sinful woman and Simon the Pharisee. One of them who is there and meets Jesus face to feet, and the other one who meets Jesus face to face. 
So take the one that meets Jesus face to face first. Take Simon the Pharisee, who's been described, to use a modern parallel, this way. He's the kind of man, quote, the kid. The kid who, after breaking his father's favorite mug, glues it back together and then puts it up in the cupboard again. He's the kid who moves the sofa over the grape juice spill and the stain in the carpet, hoping that he'll be able to hide it from his parents. He's the kid who stands before his mother with chocolate smeared all over his face and says, Mother, I did not eat the chocolate. That's the kind of kid that Simon the Pharisee was, the sinner, who thinks that he can sin just a little and get by with it, hide it. The sinner who thinks that human sin is humanly manageable, that human sin is humanly disposable, removable. But don't you think there's just a little bit of Simon in in each one of us as well? I dare say there is. The sinner who thinks that he can just sin a little bit and get away with it because it's not that big a sin after all. Drink and drive? No, we don't do that. But answer the cell phone in the car or text a message or two on the way from one place to, well, maybe a little, well, maybe more often than we should. Adultery? Cheat on your spouse? Absolutely not. Cheat on your taxes? I'm not married to the IRS. Steal anything from anyone? No, I'm not a thief. And you can't count surfing the net at work while I'm being paid to be productive. Anything before God in my life? No, not between 11 and 12 on Sunday mornings, usually. Oh yes, there's a bit of Simon in all of us, that part of us that says, I suppose there's some little sins that I can actually manage in this world. There are some sins that I can actually get away with. And even if I find that I can't get away with them, they're sins I probably can fix by myself if only I'll do this or do that to make up for that sin, do some good in order to make them go away. That's the thinking of a Simon the Pharisee. After all, I don't really do any of those bad sins. My sins are, you know, those very small ones, those little ones, those, those harmless ones, the ones that everybody does and seems to get away with. I'm not a murderer, I'm not a Bundy or a Berkowitz or a Jeffrey Dahmer or a Vandersloot. I'm not an adulterer like a Sanford or a Edwards or Woods. I'm not a, a corporate executive thief like a Bernie Madoff, who made off with billions of dollars of thousands of investors. Thank God I'm not like one of them. Thank God I'm not like that woman over there. Yes, that woman over there. There's a real sinner, that woman over there at the feet of Jesus. She's a real sinner. She's a bad sinner. And everybody knows it. Everybody, it seems, except Jesus. Obviously he doesn't know it. Obviously he doesn't know who she is and what she is because if he did, he'd never let her do to him what she's doing. He'd never let her touch him. But look, he does. And it's not merely that she's touching his feet. 
with her tears, but she's wiping his feet with her filthy hair. How presumptuous. But I suppose how fitting his unclean feet, because after all, I didn't wash them when he came in my house. His unclean feet being washed by her unclean hair. If he were a prophet, he would really know. Oh, Simon. Simon, Simon. Jesus knows. Jesus knows so much more, Simon, than you think he knows. He not only knows who this woman is, he not only knows every sordid detail of this woman's life, but he also knows the sins of another sinner who is here, another sinner who is indeed guilty of sins even greater than that woman's sins, Simon, greater than hers because the greatest sins of all are those, even the smaller ones, that will not be confessed by he who commits them but thinks them to be too small to be confessed and too small to need forgiveness. See what happens? See what Jesus here does? He compares the sins of Simon, who reclines comfortably and impenitently at the table in a position of honor, to the penitent woman who is at Jesus' feet, weeping in remorse over her sins, wetting his feet with her tears and wiping his feet with her hair. Both of them were sinners. Both were sinners. Sinners whose sins would, a year and a half hence, be paid for by the very Jesus with whom one ate and at whose feet the other wept. Sinners whose sins, from the first of the sins they ever committed to the last of them, from the least of them to the greatest of them, Sinners whose sins would not simply touch the feet of Jesus, but sins that would weigh down so heavily on the feet of Jesus as he bore them, the full body not only of their sins, but of the sins of the whole world, from Gethsemane to Caiaphas, to Pilate to Herod, to Pilate again, and finally, finally to that holy site where the Lamb of God destined divinely to be the sacrifice of the world was indeed sacrificed upon the cross slain for the sins of mankind. Sins that would not only touch the hands of Jesus, but sins that would pierce them through into the cross, the tree upon which he was hanged. The tree spoken of indeed by the Apostle Paul today when in the epistle lesson, it says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And you look at love like this, even as the woman did. And you look at love like this, and what response does such love evoke from us? Well, I suppose it depends upon which of the two characters of the text we identify most with. If we, like Simon, think our sin small, if we, like Simon, think that making ourselves right with God is a doable thing on our part, 
We'll probably respond to the presence of Jesus just like Simon did. We'll politely invite him even to our home, having him sit at our banqueting table that we might then, from a safe distance, measure the stature of the man and judge him. That we might see him not too close up, but at a safe distance, at an arm's length. The old Lutheran scholar Adam Falling, who wrote an excellent book entitled The Life of Christ, describes Simon's response in these memorable words. He says, while Jesus received the hospitality of a Pharisee, it seems that the ordinary attentions which would have been paid an honored guest were purposely omitted by the Pharisee. There was no water for the weary and dusty feet, no kiss of welcome upon the cheek, no perfume for the hair, nothing but a somewhat ungracious admission to a vacant seat and the distant courtesies so managed that the guest might feel that he was receiving and not conferring an honor by being there. Beautifully put, and I suppose little more can be expected of one who doesn't appreciate either who was present or what he was there present to do. But the sinful woman, unlike Simon, the sinful woman knew, didn't she? The sinful woman knew what Jesus was there for, and she knew who he was. By God's grace, she knew who was present and what he had come there to do, that he was God in the flesh, present in the house of a sinner like herself. God come to save her, and the love of Christ evoked in her what only the love of God, the love of Christ can do, the love of a gratitude that knows it will never be able to repay what it's been freely given, but wants simply to be close to the giver. Wants simply to be close to Christ, the giver, as she can be, a, a closeness that results in her wetting his feet with her tears and wiping his teared feet with her hair, so close to the one who would not remain distant from us sinners, but rather became everything that we are, including our sin for us, that we might forever be close to him. Would that we could be so close to Jesus as this woman of the city was. Oh, but we can. We can. We can be even closer to him than this woman of the city was. And that's why he said, and that's why you're going to hear once again, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Take and drink my blood shed for you. You can't get any closer than that. Think on these things and gratefully prepare to receive him at his banquet table where he says to you what he said to the woman of the city, your sins are forgiven you. Go in peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
in thanksgiving and in faith that God will grant that which he sees fit for us, we pray now for the whole people of God in Christ Jesus, for all people, according to their needs. We include in our prayers Dick and Elsie Much and Sonia Heidemann and Ralph Chambers and Marguerite Helt, unable to be with us due to varying degrees of their chronic infirmity. We pray also for those who tend to their needs. We pray for Sean O'Brien, who continues to undergo cancer treatment, and for Beverly Meyer's daughter, Debbie, who faces multiple surgical procedures in the days to come. And we give thanks with Don and Thelma James as they celebrate their 56th wedding anniversary today. For these and others, we now pray. Almighty and eternal God, whose justice never falters, and from whom no sin can be hidden. Receive, we pray, our thanks due to you for your infinite love, which compelled you to meet the demands of your own justice in the person of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, through whose suffering and death we, though our sins be many, are forgiven and live and shall not die eternally. Though yet troubled by the effects of sin, enable us to live the life we now live in the flesh with faith in your Son, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord of the Church, in whose eyes each generation is dear, and who desires to all to come to repentance and be saved, continually raise up men as pastors in the spirit of Nathan of old to speak the truth with courage, both to king and commoner, so that your law would be proclaimed without partiality or concession, and your gospel would be announced and believed, no matter how great the sin of him or her who would hear it. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Merciful Father, our shield and defender, keep us, your children, from sin, that we may not covet or take what to us has not been given. Enable us to uphold and protect the belongings and reputation of our fellow man, and to learn that which is pleasing to you and to do it. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, who's blessed this world with the presence of your word incarnate, bless our lives and our homes, our kitchen tables and our daily conversation with hearty discourse of your word, that where there is faith it may be enriched, and where faith does not yet exist it, it may be born through the word and sacraments to which the unbelieving would be led. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. King of kings, Graciously impart to the rulers of this world a portion of your wisdom in a spirit of peace. As we in this land prepare for seasons of campaign and election, we pray that fairness and honesty prevail so that the populace may be presented clearly with its options and vote in a way that accords with your will. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. According to your daily, according to your will, grant the gift of perseverance to all your children who daily contend with ailments and life confining infirmities. To this end, bless our brothers and sisters in Christ, Dick and Elsie, Sonia and Ralph and Marguerite, and others that we would name in our hearts, that they might not despair, but live out all their days confident that those who wait upon you will see their strength renewed in heaven's eternal day. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of compassion, grant the same unto those who attend to your ailing servants. Grant wisdom and discernment to the doctors and surgeons, nurses and therapists who would treat them. Uphold Sean O'Brien and his family as together they face his cancer and, and Debbie, daughter of Beverly Myers and her family. 
Remind them that it is no less than your wisdom and your love that has permitted this into their lives, and your same wisdom and love will attend them through its course. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. With Don and Thelma James, we give thanks for the 56 years of marriage with which you've been pleased to bless them. Day by day, bind them further together in love and devotion toward each other with the bands of your love that has bound them to you, that for all their days they may ever acknowledge and praise you together as the architect of their home and the master teacher therein. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Unworthy to attend to your feet, Christ, and wash them with our repentant tears, you yet deign to come and serve us, your own body and blood, in the Holy Supper. In the doctrinal unity that it confesses, may we be enriched by the Supper, forgiven of our transgressions, and strengthened in faith toward you and in love for one another. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Having been justified by Christ Jesus, we pray, good Father, that through the work of your Holy Spirit in his word and in his sacraments, you would train our eyes on your Son, and resting none on our own works but solely on his, that you would keep us in the faith until we see him as he is. For you live and reign with your Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you holy lord almighty father everlasting god through jesus christ our lord who on this day overcame death and the grave and by his glorious resurrection opened to us the way of everlasting life therefore with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven we laud and magnify your glorious name evermore praising you and saying sent your only begotten Son into our flesh to bear our sin and be our Savior. With repentant joy, we receive the salvation accomplished for us by the all-availing sacrifice of his body and his blood on the cross. Gathered in the name and the remembrance of Jesus, we beg you, O Lord, to forgive, renew, and strengthen us with your word and spirit. Grant us faithfully to eat his body and drink his blood as he bids us do in his own testament. Gather us together, we pray, from the ends of the earth to celebrate with all the faithful the marriage feast of the Lamb and his kingdom, which has no end. 
graciously receive our prayers, deliver and preserve us. To you alone, O Father, be all glory, honor, and worship, with the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And also with you.
bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Thank you.